0: We're back for another Wednesday night. It is April 5th, 2023. So we are at Deuteronomy 15. Now we're going to be talking about the sabbatic year. At the end of... every, I'm reading out of uh, Deuteronomy 15, verse 1. At the end of... Every seven years thou shalt make a release, and this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release of a foreigner thou mayest exact it again, but that which is thine with thy brother, thine hand shall release. Now, there's a little uh, controversy as far as, was it just the interest that was released, or was it the whole debt? Uh, Different people argue over that. So, I'm going to read, and I purposely Because last week I went to read a little bit out of this Bible, this Believer's Bible Commentary, and I'd already read it. And what I found out when I went to read it is I'd already explained it before I ever got to reading it. So everything I went to read, I had already said. So maybe that's good. But I'm going to read just a little bit, and then we'll go back to the Scripture. So talking about the first three verses... At the end of every seven years, all debts among the children of Israel were to be canceled. So his view is, uh, and the the guy who did, this is William MacDonald, edited by Art Farstad and uh, Believer's Bible Commentary. And so he's saying that all the debt would be canceled. The seventh year probably coincided with the sabbatic year, the Jews were not required to cancel debts owed to them by foreigners. This law applied only to debts incurred between Jews. Uh, Matthew Henry, out of Matthew's Henry commentary, uh, it says Every seventh year was a year of release in which the ground rested from being tilled and servants were discharged. From their services and among other acts of grace, this was one that those who had borrowed money and had not been able to pay it before should this year be released from it. And though, if they were able, they were afterwards bound in conscience to repay it. Yet, since forth, the creditor should never recover it by law. And I'm, I'm just thinking that this is a picture, th- this is a type and picture of when we accept Jesus, our debts are forgiven, and we're not supposed to try to repay it based on law, out of duty, we're, we, but we repay it because we love our Master who has forgiven us all debt, and out of conscience, and out of uh, wanting to do for Him and serve Him, we do works for Him, but we're not required to. We do it because we love Him. That's what I see when, I, when I'm reading this. Okay, uh, back to uh, uh, Bible believers' commentary. Uh, seven, the number seven... It's, it is the number of fullness or completeness in Scripture, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, and through Him proclaimed remission of sins, a, a year of release, not only for the Jews but for all men. So that he sees he sees a little bit of what I was seeing in this. I usually, like I said, I usually read this before, and, uh, but I have not read it, um, this, this section of it. I haven't read it. So it's, when I read this, it's new to me, just like it is to you. And then I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Alright, back over to Deuteronomy. Now we're at verse 4. Save, or accept, except, when there shall be no poor among you, for the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it. Now, you can go down to verse 11. See, we're, that's verse 4. It says, when, when the King James Bible says save, many, many times where you see the word save, it's accept. You know, like, uh, there's different meanings for that word. So except when there shall be no poor among you. Now, this seems like a contradiction because you get down to verse 11, it says, "For the and the word for in the King James Bible most of the time means because. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. So, if, it, if this is saying the poor shall never cease out of the land, well, then how could there ever be a situation where there's, uh, there shall be no poor among you. That seems like a contradiction. For the Lord shall, back up at four, for the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it. Only if thou carefully hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all these commandments, which I command thee thee, this day. All right, verse 6. For the Lord thy God blesseth thee as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow, and thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. So there's a very good principle there. Uh, The nation of Israel was allowed to loan to others, but they were not to borrow from them. That was a, uh, I I know of some Jewish-owned businesses, and they are very much about that. They're very willing to loan money, but they do not borrow. Okay, Believer's Bible Commentary. Verse 4 seems to conflict with verse 11. Verse 4 suggests a time when there would be no poor people in the land, whereas verse 11 says that there will always be poor people. Bollinger's note is helpful on this. Y'all know I love E.W. Bollinger. I love Matthew Henry. So he's quoting some of these guys that I really like. He suggests that verse 4 means that there be no poor people. Among you. In other words, they should release their brethren in debt every seven years so that there would be no no people in continual poverty. The creditor would not suffer because God would richly bless him. The thought in verse 11 is that there will always be poor people, partly as punishment and partly to teach others compassion, and sharing. This makes me think of, you know, it's up to the creditor to forgive the debt. Well, I had a situation a long time ago, many, many years ago, I was, I did a lot of, a whole bunch of lawn care and landscaping type stuff, and there was this lady I can't remember who, how I got the contact, but I I remember going over to, to the house, and she heard that I could do woodwork stuff, and she wanted me to build some shelves for her. I didn't know her. I didn't know her very well. So she had several shelves that she wanted built, and I built one and took the one, make sure she liked it, and if she did, I could get payment for it. Then I'd have a relationship and I'd know her, you know. and I'm, then I'd maybe build more. Well, she had no intention of paying me for anything that I did. And, um, and she never did pay me for anything that I did for. Her. And she told me how blessed I was going to be because I did things for her like that. And, I, and she didn't, she like, I'm not going to pay you, and you know that's great because God's going to bless you for being so good to me. That just makes me think of it. You know, we just reading this right here. But she didn't understand it was up to me to give it to her, not up to her to say that I needed to so I could get a blessing. Still waiting on that blessing. All right, seven, back over to the Bible. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him naught, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Now, you, you see what's going on here? So you got six years that you owe. So if somebody needed, needed money, you would loan it to them in the ver- that first year of those six years. Then they would pay you back for six years. And then the seventh year, they were released from it. Well, let's say you're in the fifth or sixth year, and they're wanting money. And that seventh year is next year or the year after, and you loan them the full amount. And you're thinking, the seventh year is only a couple years away. I'm not giving them anything because they won't have to pay hardly anything back. Now, that's good business sense, but he's warning right here that if you purposely don't give for that reason, it's bad for you. <clears throat> now, this is, this is Old Testament. This is law. This is things that was for the Jewish nation. But we have to understand the type and picture and how the heart we're supposed to have today. We aren't supposed to not do something because it doesn't benefit us. There's too many people that only look at the books, only look at all the figuring, and does it work for me? And that's selfishness. So this is what all this is saying here, and what we learn from it for today is that you, you, we should have a heart to help even if we don't get anything out of it. right? If you only did it to get something out of it, then you're selfish. Ten, thou shalt surely give him and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. So, you're going to be blessed. Just look to the Lord. He, you, see, I probably got blessed, and I just don't remember it. I know, I know there's several things over my life that I have been blessed big time. Okay, eleven. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. That's the controversy, but I don't think it is now that we read Matthew Henry. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. Now, remember, this is to your brother, not necessarily blood relative, but just the people amongst you. Because when we first started reading this, the foreigner, they still owed after you know, on the seventh year. They still owed. This was for their very own. So we need to apply it to today. First, take care of the people who are in the body. In your church body, you take care of first. And then you start looking out from, from beyond there. All right, now back to the uh, believer's Bible commentary. This is going over these four verses we just read, 7 through 11. The fact that all debts were canceled in the seventh year should not cause a person to refuse to lend money to a poor Israelite as the year of release drew near. To refuse is the base or wicked thought of verse 9. In this connection, the Jewish people have been deservedly well-known for caring for their own throughout history. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 9-7 that Moses says in verse 10, God loves a cheerful giver. This verse is not only a command but a promise, for God is no man's debtor. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. That's Proverbs eleven twenty five. Okay, now over to the Bible. Verse 12. And if thy brother, an Hebrew man, or an, he- an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee, and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. So, there, a family could be in debt and have a son, and they, you, a Jew could not actually enslave another Jew, but it's more like an indentured servant. So, a family, if they were indebted to this other family, could take one of their sons or a daughter and give to the family they owed, and then that's family member can work off the debt, but in the seventh year he was set free. Now there's a different rules for that for the man and for the woman, and you'd have to go to um, Exodus, I believe it's 11, chapter 11 that talks about uh, usually when the woman was uh, a young girl was given to a family she would eventually either become the wife of the man of the family they owed possibly he would take care of her for the rest of her life or if she was maybe too young maybe a son he would he would they would uh, uh they would be betrothed and then she would be taken care of after she worked off the uh, the debt or the seventh year came about and then but if he wasn't willing to take care of her, then she would be released. Now, if a man was released, he was given things. After he worked, worked, his, worked off the debt, he would be given enough to get a start to make a new life. Think about the nation of Israel being enslaved in Egypt, and when they left out of there, they took a lot of stuff with them. God God told, just made the Egyptians give them stuff. They were just giving them all kinds of stuff. And so they need to remember that when, when you release someone. Okay, back to the Bible. Uh, 13, and when thou sendeth him out from, free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. That's how I know this. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock, and out of thy floor, and out of thy winepress. So what's from the flock? That's some type of animal, maybe an ox, so he can work a field. Out of uh, thy floor. What does that mean? That's talking about the threshing floor, where you would thresh grain, so give him some grain. Because grain, he can make bread, or he can plant. That's seed that you can plant some oats, or, or wheat, or whatever. And out of thy winepress. So that would be where you made your your drink, your wine. Of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. Now that's for a man who was released. Okay, I'm going to go through 15 here. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee, therefore I command thee this thing today. I've already explained all that. They were, they were to remember that they were bondmen in, in Egypt, right? I just explained all that, right? Okay. All right, now I'm going over here to the Believer's Bible Commentary. I, I have not read this before, so let's see what it says. For these uh, 12 through 15. A Hebrew slave was also to be released during the seventh year, but he was not to be sent away without first providing for him liberally. God provided abundantly for his people when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and for this reason a freed slave should not go out empty-handed. The Lord's desire is for his people to follow his example or to rephrase the golden rule Do unto your brother as the Lord hath done unto you. All right, 16. We're going to read 16, 17, 18. And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee. This This is interesting. All of this is pointing to something. We should be getting something out of this that applies today. Um. The Old Testament gets picked on and gets left out, and people will actually say that it does not apply to us today. It's, it's just no use in it. Don't even read it. Well, I see Jesus in every single book of the Old Testament. I'm not going to disregard it. No way. And I've already shown you some things so far that points to the gospel story of being bound, being a slave to this world, being, being indebted, not being able to pay it off, and being released from that debt by what Jesus did for us. We see it in this. All right, 16. And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away. Now, this is talking about the servant himself. We're talking about the servant being released, and he's released on that seventh year, but if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house, because, it, because he is well with thee, then thou shalt take an awl, that is a piece of metal that is in a spike, so take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door. Hmm. And he shall be thy servant forever, and also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. So, seventh year, you can go now. Oh, no, no, I, I want to stay with you. I want to be your servant forever because everything's been great here. All right, where's my hammer and my spike? All right, walk over to the doorway, and you lean your head over against the wood, and they take that all and put it against your earlobe, and BAM! And run that all through your ear. Probably doesn't hurt any worse than getting your ear pierced, right? Maybe put a little ice on it before you do it. Sounds fun, right? So how many people said, no, I don't want to go. I want my ear, Poke, poke a big hole in my earlobe. Okay, but that's what they're supposed to do. And it shall, all right, all right, it shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest, sendest him away free from thee, for he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee, in serving thee six years, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. Okay, now over to the believers Bible commentary. On the other hand, the slave could refuse freedom and choose to become a perpetual love servant. He indicated this by having his ear pierced with an awl to the door of his master's house. A bondservant was worth twice as much as a hired servant. Well, because you didn't have to pay them, so a bond, someone who decided they would stay with you and they would work for you as long as you they had a place to sleep and a place to you know they could eat and all that and be taken care of. And obviously they were being taken care of very well. Uh, I can remember I mean and this and again, the the this so called slavery that we see here in the Bible, this slavery right here that we're talking about is way different than Uh, the slavery that that we usually think of when we talk about, uh, it's still going on today. There's places in this world that still enslave people, Um, and it's it's horrible. But just going back to when this nation had slaves, see, that was man-stealing. So they would send a ship over to Africa, and African people would capture African people and sell them. So they would steal men and then sell them to people who would pay them for them. And then, so that was the slave trade. It was a horrible thing. <clears throat> and I can, I can remember being at Monticello one time, many years ago, and we were on a tour going through the house of Monticello, and somebody made mention that I, we heard that Thomas Jefferson was a good slave old. And the guy who was leading the tour, he said, there's no such thing as a good slaveholder. Well, that's just wrong. I mean, he he had an issue. Well, you know, and that was before woke. Well, now it's very woke there at Monticello. They have made up all kinds of lies about Thomas Jefferson. And they have no proof, but yet they just want to make sure everybody thinks that he did these terrible things. And he's not around to defend himself. Maybe he did do bad things. How can I judge him? He's been dead for a very, very long time. But he was known. He, when the, they, they had a, the, where the nails were, were, were made, when boys, little, young boys would go out there and make nails and he would reward them When Thomas Jefferson had to leave Monticello and go to Washington or go to Paris, uh, when the taskmasters were in charge, it was way different for the slaves at Monticello, way different. They were mean. The slaves liked it when Thomas Jefferson was home because he was way better, way better when he was there. Now, uh, there was some very bad slave owners in America, but then there were some like uh, Grant. He, he, uh, Ulysses S. Grant owned one slave, and he wouldn't sell him, and he was desperate for money, but he gave him his freedom. That's a good slave owner, right? He gave him away, when he could've sold him and made much needed money. Because he was a failure in everything he did, except military. He was in the military, he got out, tried several different things in life, he failed, 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 and then civil war happened, and he goes back into the military, and we, it was that one move where he, he eventually became president of the United States after the war, within probably four or five years after the war. I can't remember exactly, I just know that uh, he became president not long after uh, the Civil War. So there are good-hearted people. I mean, think about, think about somebody like Thomas Jefferson. He was born, he was a little tiny baby, he grew up, slavery had been around for a really long time. It wasn't like he one day said, okay, I want to be a slave owner. He was born into it and said, and even said in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and set forth this country. There was half of the people in, our, in the government back then that hated slavery and the other half that tried to defend it. And they fought with each other. There was one congressman that was beaten with a cane because of it. He was against slavery. One of the guys who was for it beat him with a cane. And I can't remember his name, but uh, he was never the same again. They almost killed him. So it was a horrible thing. John Quincy Adams, he, they finally told him, be quiet. We don't want to hear anything from you again. Because every time he spoke, it was about getting rid of slavery. Every time. And he suffered his whole life because that was his mission. And he died and never saw it happen. Never saw anything different happen. But there was a young fellow that was, John Quincy Adams was his mentor. And that guy, his name was uh, Abraham Lincoln. I don't know what ever become of him, but... See, John Quincy Adams said, you know, people asked him, why do you keep doing this? You're never, you're, you never succeed. He said, it doesn't matter if I succeed. He said, God is directing things. And, and he had the famous quote, uh, duty is ours, results are the Lord's. We are supposed to do what we, we know is right, because of what the Word of God tells us, and we may not ever see it. Abraham never saw the promises while he was on this earth. He just saw a little tiny portion of it, but walked around like he was the father of millions when he only had a few. He never saw it come to pass, but he walked around like it was a done deal. We need to be more like that. So we don't get, uh, we should never, because we don't actually see the results in our lifetime, we should never, ever give up. Because it could be somebody that we're mentoring, and we leave this earth, and they actually, because of what you started, they end up accomplishing it. The timing was right. All the firstling firstling males that come of thy herd and of thy flock, thou shalt sanctify unto, which, what does sanctify mean? That just means set apart. Unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt do no work with the firstlings of thy bullock, nor shear the firstlings of thy sheep. 20. Thou shalt eat it before the Lord thy God, Thy God, year by year, in the place which the Lord shall choose thou and thy household. 21. And if there be any blemish therein, as if it be lame or blind or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice it unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt eat it within thy gates. The unclean and the clean person shall eat it alike, as the roebuck and as the hart. Now this sounds very familiar. We've gone over this in previous chapters. Only thou shalt not eat the blood thereof, thou shalt pour it upon the ground as water. We've gone over that a lot. Okay, Believer's Bible Commentary. Beginning with verse 19 and continuing through, all the way through chapter 16, verse 17, we have regulations about certain functions which were to be carried out in the place where Jehovah had placed his name. Number one, the setting apart of the firstborn animals. Number two, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, And that's going to be as we get into uh, the next chapter, next week. We'll be reading about that. The Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. And then four, the Feast of Tabernacles. All that should be in uh, chapter 16. The firstborn of clean animals were to be offered to the Lord, and the people were allowed to eat their share, but not the blood. The animals had to be, without spot or defect, nothing but the best for God. Got it? Nothing but the best for God. So, we can... You know, people, people, that's why people like to dress up. Certain people, you know, older people especially, they, you know, you, you wear your Sunday best. You, they just want everything to be the best for God. And, and uh, we need to not forget some of these things that we, we tend to slack in. Okay, so that gets us through chapter 15, and I was hoping we would get done with 15 a little early because I want to go over something with you out of this book. Uh, Lois asked me earlier if I had had a Charles Spurgeon book. She has read All of Grace twice and she was really wanting, I told her I had some other Charles Spurgeon books. Now as I was looking for another one, I came across this Morning and Evening, and Morning and Evening, this is, a, this is a pretty big book because it's two different books put into one, so there was morning by morning and evening by evening, so now we have both, so it was a devotional for the morning time, then there was a devotional for an evening time. I don't know the order of it. Probably the morning one came out first and the evening came out later, but the, but now you got both of them together. And it's a very popular work that Spurgeon did. So, it's got every single day of the year in here. And we're at whatever today is, you would if you say you got this book today, you would open it up to April 5th. And in the morning, in your devotion time, you could read. And then at night, when you go to bed, you would read the evening. And that's your morning and your evening devotion. So, just to give you an example, today is April 5th. April 5th. I think that might be Beth's birthday. I probably should text her and ask. So, she listens to every single one of these, so if I'm right, she'll be like, ah. She'll be happy, but if I'm off a day or two, I'm pretty sure it's the fifth. But I, anyway, anyway, today is the fifth, right? Okay, so this morning the verse is Luke 23, 26. Now remember, this was written so long ago uh, as far as Spurgeon putting this together. So that verse is about uh, Simon carrying the cross, The verse is, On him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And then Spurgeon is going to talk about it, and how this is a devotion. We see in Simon's carrying the cross a picture of the work of the church throughout all generations. She, talking about the church, is the cross-bearer for Jesus. That's what we do today as the church. We bear that cross. We're carrying it on. Mark then, or take note then, Christian, Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering. He bears a cross, not that you may escape it, but that you may endure it. All good Christians from days gone by, they endured persecution. I'm just throwing a little extras in here as I read this. Christ exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. Remember, Jesus was called a man of sorrows. Remember that and expect to suffer. Expect it. As being a Christian, expect to suffer. But let us comfort ourselves with this thought, that in our case, as in Simon's, it is not our cross, but Christ's cross that we carry. When you are um, you know, persecuted for your piety, or when your religion brings the trout of cruel ridicule on you, then remember that it is not your cross but it is Christ's cross. How delightful it is to carry the cross of our Lord Jesus. You carry the cross after him. You have blessed, you have blessed company. Your path is marked with the footprints of your Lord. The mark of his blood-red shoulder is on that heavy burden. It is his cross, and he goes before you as a shepherd goes before his sheep. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Do not forget also that you bear his cross in partnership. And then he says, uh, It is the opinion of some that Simon carried only one end of the cross and not the whole of it. That is very possible. Christ may have carried the heavier part against the, you know, talking about where the beam went across, and Simon may have borne the lighter end. He's just saying, that's just what some people think. And he said, maybe so. And if it was so, certainly it is so with you. You carry only the light end of the cross. Christ bore the heavier end. And remember that although Simon had to bear the cross for a very little while, it gave him lasting honor. Even so, the cross we carry is only for a little while at most, and then we will receive the crown, the glory. Surely we should love the cross, and instead of shrinking from it, count it very costly, when it works out for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, 2 Corinthians 4.17. And that's your morning devotion. Amen. All right, we're going to be done, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, and Father, that we would be very willing to take up that cross, that cross that Christ bore, Father, the cross that Christ carried to his own crucifixion, where he was nailed to it in place of us. Father, we are so thankful for, for that, and Father, as we continue to carry on that gospel story. Father, even though we face persecution, we, we face hard times, that we will be able to endure because of what Christ did for us. Father, we were in bondage. We were so indebted. We, There's no way we could have ever paid back what we owed for the sins that we had, have committed. But Father, you sent Jesus so that we could be released from the penalty of that sin. And Father, we're grateful for that. And Father, though you don't require us to serve you, I pray that each and every one of us, because of the love that we have for you, that we will want to serve you for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.